Hello, and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. By obeying Christ, by putting your faith and trust in Christ, there is no greater freedom than to be a slave of Christ. Over recent weeks, we've been looking at the subject of freedom lifted from the writings of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament book of Galatians. Freedom doesn't come by casting off restraint, but by submitting to the authority of Christ. How is it that submission brings freedom? Well, tonight, Dr. Corbett concludes the Freedom Series with Freedom in Christ, I Boast in the Cross of Christ. Let's join him now. Josh McDowell in the 1960s or so was going through a fair bit of turmoil in his life. He'd already been the victim of some horrific abuse that he told his father about and his father did nothing about it, which made the, the pain in his soul even worse. He went to university, an angry man. He met Christians and they just made him angrier. In fact, he was so angry with them. He was committed to proving them wrong. Because in his mind, why should he be the only hurt, disappointed man in the, in the world? One of the young Christians there said, you want to disprove Christianity? That's pretty easy to do. If you'd like my advice, I can tell you how to do it. He said, sure, tell me. All you have to do is disprove that Jesus actually physically rose from the dead. He thought, is that all? He said, yeah, that'll do it. You prove that, Christianity collapses completely. He set about to do just that. In fact, he wanted to go in a very thorough journey he went to Europe he was in America and he traveled to European museums and European cathedrals where there were ancient manuscripts and he looked for evidence that Christianity was a scam and that the fictitious accounts as he thought they were of Jesus rising from the dead were probably developed hundreds of years after Jesus had actually even walked the planet but what he found was that there were documents that dated back pretty close to the time of the actual events. This troubled him greatly and the more he looked at it, the more he found that there were others who had also tried to disprove Christianity and they'd gone down the same route. If they could just prove that Jesus did not rise physically from the dead, Christianity would collapse. And he read of some of these people who wrote their account and how every one of them had found the evidence was undeniable. And most, if not all of them, had actually become Christians. Yesterday, a man I consider to be a great man also embarked early in his life on a similar journey. He grew up in a home where something was said and done to his father that caused his father to hate Christianity. And this father taught him to hate Christianity as well. He grew up hating Christianity, which was a bit of an inconvenience because he was attending a Catholic school and gave the nuns and the brothers, I think in his own words, hell. Because he thought they were promoting something that he didn't even think was true. He married quite young. He grew up in around near Ipswich in Queensland, a very working-class area. And shortly after he and his wife married, they'd had a, a young daughter. Then they had another child. 
But one day when their daughter was around about four years of age, she walked out to get a ball in the middle of the road and was hit by a car and died. And made his anger against God even more intense. He was angry, now he was really angry. His anger led him to go into a bout of deep, deep depression. By this time, he had wanted to make a difference, but he knew that the difference could not involve God. He entered into Parliament. He became a a member of the Labor Party, and while he was before that, he'd been a policeman. And while he was a policeman, he'd studied at night school to become an accountant. No one in his family had ever gone to university and this was his opportunity. It took him a long time, took him much longer than most people it takes to get a degree. But he eventually graduated and while he was in federal parliament, his party won the election. He wasn't the leader, of course, but the leader, Gough Whitlam, asked him to become Australia's treasurer and then asked him to become the Minister for Social Services. He wanted to do something that, in his mind, Christianity had not done for Australia, and he was going to change it. And one of those things was Medicare. But there were Christians that protested against the introduction of Medicare because they saw it as the Labor Party promoting communism. Now, there may be people sitting here right now that you can remember back to 1972, 1973, when this was being promoted, or 1971-72. But there was someone who came alongside him when people were hurling abuse at him. A Catholic sister, Sister Margaret, who worked at Martyr Hospital, Brisbane. She got alongside this man and encouraged him because she said, what you're doing is right. They became friends for 40 years and at the 40-year mark he got word because life had taken its course and he got word that Margaret was in hospital dying after having a pretty serious heart attack and she didn't have long to go. He went to the hospital to visit her and when he walked in he saw a lady whom he knew, knew Christ. And he was taken back with the intense feeling that she had a peace that he had never had. He didn't tell anyone. But when he came into this room and saw her on her hospital bed with what turned out to be not long to live, he was so deeply moved. He left her hospital bed troubled. He began to have dreams. He began to have things that were stirring up in him, all kinds of questions about what's life all about. He had achieved what many would consider to be multiple pinnacles of success in his life. And yet this woman who had comparatively nothing had something that he didn't have. He was so troubled by what he'd seen that he began to do the unthinkable for an atheist. He cried out to the God that he didn't even know existed and asked, God, if you're real, reveal yourself to me. And that journey led him at the age of 85 in St. Mary's Church, I believe, Ipswich, to be baptised 
as a Christian. He wrote to those who were his former colleagues, Bob Hawke and others, telling them that they should also recant their atheism and come to Christ. Yesterday, this man, Bill Hayden, former Governor-General of Australia, died at the age of 90. And he died in Christ. We have a lot to be grateful for. I mentioned Josh McDowell was an angry man. He also encountered the reality of Christ. And he became one of the most ardent defenders of Christianity. He was travelling the world. His books have sold in the tens of millions. I've got several of his books and some of them are tens of million sellers. <laughs> Amazing. He was invited to speak at universities all around North America and Europe and even Australia. One day at breakfast time, his teenage son, Sean, said to him, Dad, I've got something to tell you. And Josh, who was back from trips and had more trips to go to to speak in defence of Christianity, said, Sean, what is it? He said, Dad, I don't know if you want to hear it. Sean, you can tell me anything. Dad, I've been looking at the internet and there's a lot of people who disagree with you. And I think they might be right. I don't know if I believe what you believe. Sean sat back in his breakfast chair in trepidation of what his dad was going to do now, especially since his own dad, Josh, had had such a violent upbringing. He wondered if that would trigger something in his dad. But what he didn't calculate was that after his father, Josh, had surrendered to the truth and reality of God and given his life to Christ, his dad had been transformed. His dad said to him, Sean, that's great, son. I know that if you investigate looking for the truth and you become convinced in it, God will have his way in your life. So, Sean, go and investigate. Away you go. And Sean was surprised that his father was so loving and respectful of where he was at. So Sean did exactly what his dad did. He investigated the truth claims of Christianity, the things that are recorded in the Bible that many of you will have people who don't want you to believe this and they will tell you it's been made up, it's just myth, it's just fables, it's like fairy tales. Whatever you do, don't believe it and definitely don't read it. I love it when people tell teenagers not to do things. <laughs> And Sean investigated it and he in himself came to the conviction, which is a belief that is galvanised, that this is true. And he surrendered his life to Christ. And today, Sean McDowell is every week on YouTube talking with people who have similar doubts and questions, and many of them, hundreds of them, have also converted to Christianity because they too have found this to be the truth. Which is not surprising then that when he was asked to speak at a, a conference, a pastor went up to him the, of the church that was hosting the conference and said, Sean, 
our youth pastor this week just deconstructed his faith and has walked away from Christianity. And Sean said, I'd love to talk to him. Could you give him a call and ask him to come to the conference through the break? And I'd just love to catch up with him over lunch today. So the pastor did. He rang the youth pastor who had deconstructed, which means he turned his back on what he claimed he used to believe about Christianity. And he had that lunch with Sean and Sean said, so I hear you've got questions that have troubled you. And the the youth pastor, now former youth pastor, was sharing his questions and so on. And Sean realised these aren't troubling questions. And he's thinking to himself, there's got to be something else going on here. So he said to him, yeah, I, I get it. I hear people ask these questions all the time, but there's something, something I just need to ask you. I've got a question for you. When you became a Christian, you know that moment, that moment when, when you realised you were a sinner who needed to be forgiven, that moment when you, you, you realised that you did not have a relationship with God because of the barrier of sin, and that moment when it became real to you that God was prepared to forgive you of your sin and wipe the slate clean and give you a brand new start and a brand new heart, tell me about that moment. The youth pastor couldn't look him in the eye and said, I never had a moment like that. And Sean said, well, how did you become a Christian? He said, I'm not exactly sure except that one day I was in a church because someone had invited me along and the music was great and there was a bunch of young people and, and the preacher said, if you're hurting, Jesus can heal your hurt heart. Come forward and let Jesus heal your heart. And I was hurting. I was confused. I was hurting. There was things I couldn't tell anybody that I was going through. And this guy said Jesus could heal all that, so I just went forward. Next thing, I'm going to youth group the next, next weekend. And, and I just keep going. And next thing, they ask me to be youth pastor. I never had a moment like what you've just described. And Sean said, you haven't deconstructed anything because you didn't have anything constructed. And maybe you're here today and you haven't got anything constructed either. It's easy to come to church and enjoy the music, which was pretty good. It's great to enjoy the nice people around you because I don't know if you've noticed, everyone in this room right now is nice. And yet never have a moment where you were converted. I want to share with you some things from what Paul has to say. And then next week, Karen is going to do the heavy lifting. Because she's going to talk about how to be set free by Christ from your past. To which Karen responded, thanks a lot. But it will be good because Karen is good. So let's pray. Father, now, as we open your word, we pray that your word by your spirit would open our hearts. We want to hear your voice. We want you to speak to us. And we want to respond. So Lord, have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. This is my last installment in Paul's Epistle to the Galatians. 
in order for this to make sense to you, I need to run through the major themes that Paul's already addressed. Because these, the, the more I think about them, the more I think, man, he could have written this last week. It's that relevant. The first thing that Paul is addressing in his epistle is the gospel. We read in Galatians chapter 1 that Paul is deeply disturbed that the Galatians, the, the region of southern Turkey today, have turned away from the message of Jesus Christ. The message that reveals that we are sinners, that is, we have done things that we are ashamed of, things that God has told us not to do and yet we've done it. That's sin. And that the gospel says that despite that, and as we heard Kim share earlier today, that, that she was a horrible person and I never got to see that because the Holy Spirit was doing stuff in her life when I met her. When I met Kim, she was not a Christian. And then after a few months, it was a New Year's Eve, actually, she made a New Year's resolution to become a Christian, and that's when I saw God begin. In fact, that's not when I saw God. I saw God doing something in her the first night I met her. The first night I met her, the very first conversation I had with her, I made her cry. That's the kind of guy I am. Because I shared with her something that God had shown me in a dream about her, and I'd never met her. And I asked her, is this what's going on in your life? And that led to her crying and that led to us ultimately being brought together by God and here we are. And there are other stories sitting to the left and to the right of you. The gospel is the message that no matter what we've done, despite what we've done, Jesus died in our place to offer us forgiveness with God. That's the gospel. And that message, Paul says, sets you free from any thought that you have to do, 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 do something in order to be made right with God. Because you don't. It's, and that's why we say Christianity is not spelt do, D-O. Christianity is spelt D-O-N-E. Christ has done it all. And that is what sets you free. It's not about making you happy. I mentioned before that C.S. Lewis was asked which religion can make a person the happiest. And he said, well, it certainly isn't Christianity. Because if you follow Christ, there will be things that God will get you to do, want you to do, call you to do, that won't make you happy at all. But it will be the only religion that will get you peace with God. It will get you right standing with God. And so this is where Paul says it's about trust. Pistis is the Greek word, faith. Where you just simply trust God that what Christ has done is enough for you to say thank you. And for that perfection that Christ has to be merited to your account spiritually. And you might say, I can't believe that. And I go, I know. That's why even faith itself is a gift from God. And so I suggest if you can't believe that, then ask God for that gift of faith. And Paul talks about that. And then the fourth 
theme that runs powerfully through this epistle is the work of the Holy Spirit. Christianity is not a head thing. It's not a, oh yeah, I think that's true or, and that's about all there is. Christianity is not me, Jesus, and the bush. You know, I don't need this because that brings us to the fifth thing. And this, you've got to frame in the context that Paul was a Jew. Community to a Jew is a big deal. Oh, it's a big deal. There's no I in Judaism in the sense of it's just about me and I don't need anyone or anything else. So when Paul became a Christian, breaking off from that life that he had had for the first 40 or so years of his life was not going to be an easy thing. But Christ did it. And he realized it's not about being born to particular ancestors. It's not about being born in a particular country. It's about being born again. Where you are made a son or daughter of God. And that means you come into a new family. A new family. N.T. Wright says this so well in his series on Galatians. That God has a new family and it's not based on ethnicity. We looked at this last week when we talked about the destiny of the nations, God's will for the nations. God's will for the nations is that every nation would recognize there is a brotherhood, a sisterhood, a family that transcends national ethnicity or boundaries. And that is when you give your life to Christ and you become a brother and a sister And Paul actually says to older women, you become mothers and to older men, you become fathers to those who've given their life to Christ. That's family. The Bible talks in terms of family. This is a new family we're in. A new family. I don't know what your previous family is like. I had a pastor who I spoke with a couple of weeks ago who's in Queensland and And he said, you know, one of our values is that church should be a family. And he said, yeah, but Andrew, I've now got a problem because there was recently a cult calling themselves the family of God. That's the name of the cult. And they just killed one of their members by denying her medication. She was diabetic. And they said, no. In this family, we don't need medicine. We just trust God to heal whenever we're sick. Which, by the way, if you've ever been up for prayer, we will pray this kind of prayer. We pray that God will heal you by miracle or by medicine. And for some of us, it's a combination of both. And he said, now I've got this problem. He said to me, I have to tell people what the family of God looks like, not what that cult looked like. And people need to understand when they've come out of family abusive situations that that can sound terrible to them. And this is where Paul explains in Galatians chapter 4 that we have an infinitely good God of unconditional love as a father who adopts us to make us his children so that we cry out, Abba, Abba, Father, Daddy. And that's something the Spirit of God does in us and we become family because we have Christ in us. When we celebrate communion, we do it together. You might think, well, I could become a Christian, surely, and and I don't need church. No, you can't. Church is Christ's body. He died not just to save you, but to build the church. 
In the old covenant that Paul was a part of, the Jews went to the temple with an animal, and that animal cost them money, and it was sacrificed. But the writers of the New Testament, particularly Peter, says, we don't bring sacrifices of animals to the temple which he says, you are, you are living stones in this temple that God has built. We don't bring animal sacrifices to this new temple that God has made us into. We bring sacrifices of what? Anyone know? Praise. And you might think, oh, it's not a sacrifice to praise because I'm so full of the love of God after what he's done for me. I just want to praise him and worship him and snaps to you. But there are some of us who go, it was hard getting here. My car wouldn't start. I had to push it uphill all the way, 15 kilometres against the wind in the rain. But I made it. That's a sacrifice, right? I just made that up, by the way. There is no one who did that that I know of. And if you did, wow, that is a sacrifice. But there are some of you, and you don't like people much. I'm not looking at anyone. But for you to come here is a sacrifice because you don't like people. But the more you let Christ into your heart, the more you let the Holy Spirit do what he wants to do, you'll find that you'll begin to love what Christ loves and he loves the church. Ephesians chapter 5, he loves it so much he gave himself for it. And he says, the writer in Ephesians, which is Paul as well, says this is a picture of marriage between a husband and a wife. Christ loved the church. One commentator said he's the king and a husband in a family is supposed to be the king. And if you get this, when Christ was crowned, it wasn't a crown of gold. It was a crown of thorns. He paid a sacrifice because he was the sacrifice. And so when you begin to have Christ infuse your soul, you begin to love people who are, here's a newsflash, lovable. See, I told you to be newsflash. (laughs) Because we think no one could ever love them. And I'm telling you, there is someone. In fact, those who are infused with Christ are probably on that list as well. They'll find a way to love someone. And it's my hope as pastor that you will too and we will too. So as we talk about this now, I want to come to the conclusion, the last seven verses of Galatians. I will boast in the cross of Christ, says Paul. So we pick it up in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 11. And I want you to feel what Paul is saying here when he says, See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. Now, for those who are Bible nerds and you really want to go, wow, what is behind that? Well, let me tell you, there are some scholars that believe that in the book of Acts, when it says Paul was you know, poorly treated in Phrygia, that in that region, not too far away from Galatia, he was actually crucified. That was, that's what one commentator said that, and that, since the nail went through his hand, because sometimes, sometimes, believe it or not, Romans would crucify people but not leave them on the cross. They'd take them down. So one commentator said Paul was probably crucified in Phrygia, probably the wound still in his hand. It was hard for him to write. See with what large letters I write now because I can't really hold the stylus very well. And we have no evidence for that, so you completely dismiss that idea. 
Secondly, there are those people who see that when Paul had earlier said, when I came to you, I was not well. I was really not well. I'd just been beaten up. I'd just been stoned in Lystra. I was you know, left literally for dead until the elders came around me, prayed for me, and I rose up from the dead. <laughs> but one of those rocks that I was stoned with may have hit his eye. It may have, or he may have caught a disease or something in the eye because he says, when I came to you, I was in a bad shape and you would have plucked your very eyes out and given them to me. That's how much care you have for me, Paul says. So it could simply be that Paul's eyesight has taken an absolute battering and he's one of these guys that puts his nose close to the papyrus and now he's having to write big, literally big letters. So it seems like... This was a difficult thing for him to do. So here's, here's the question that we look behind this, and this is probably more the point. No matter what the cause of Paul taking the stylus, there's something he really wants to say now in closing this epistle in these last seven verses where he wants people to know something, and this is why it must have been so important, so urgent that he would ask his amnuensis, which is a secretary who does like a PA, amnuensis, someone who writes for you, you dictate, they write, but they, they are more than that. They're an aide, they're a helper, they're someone who's doing this. For Paul to say to the amnuensis, give me that stylus, I, I need to finish this. They need to see my handwriting. This should tell us something about what he's about to say in closing this epistle. Paul says, It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Paul, all through this epistle to the Galatians, has contrasted what he taught the gospel with a gospel, which he says is not even a gospel, because it's not anything that will bring you into right relationship with God. And so Paul has said, these people who are doing this are people who believe you have to become a Jew first and keep all the laws of Moses, which is called the Torah, in order to become a, qualified to become a Christian. <laughs> and here Paul is saying, they do this because they want to look good to those whose opinion they seek after. They seek a good opinion, a good reputation with the Jewish authorities in Jerusalem, in Israel. The question is, Paul, when Paul says they do this because they don't want to be persecuted. Now these are Jewish Christians who don't want to be persecuted. Persecuted by whom? Rome didn't care. Persecuted by whom? Who were the Judaizers fearing persecution from? Almost certainly the people that they looked up to who were either Jewish Christians or Jewish. Paul says, for even those who are circumcised, that is Jews, do not themselves keep the law, the Torah, but they desire to have you circumcised that, you, that they may boast in your flesh. We went there, we went there to those Gentiles. We told them in order for you to become a Christian, the first step is to become a Jew. We told them that. In fact, we, we circumcised all the men. Now, Paul is saying that has got nothing to do with the gospel. It's got nothing to do with God. 
It's got nothing to do with them either, really, because they know they can't keep the law of Moses themselves. And there is a word for that. And the word, when you're telling someone to do something that you know you can't do yourself, that's called hypocrisy. And if we learn anything from what Paul is now saying about this, we should learn we must guard against legalism, which is not keeping rules. As Karen said uh, not that long ago when she was doing one of the earlier parts in this series, she said we are free because there are rules that God has for how we should live. And she gave the analogy of going into Launceston, not on the south side of the road, although that would be the east side of the road, but try going against the flow of traffic on the upside of the road into town and see how that works for you. And she was not being serious because she's a nurse and she doesn't want to see you in hospital, but that's where you would end up if you did. God's rules are designed for your best. God's rules are designed for your best. I heard C.S. Lewis say, or read C.S. Lewis say this, for those people that don't want to keep God's laws, the laws of God are really hard. But for those people who love God and want to obey him, God's laws are a delight. And so legalism is not having rules. Legalism is trusting that you're keeping those laws, that that will make you right with God. That's legalism and hypocrisy. But we are, we must guard against those two things, hypocrisy and legalism, as we pursue this beautiful word, holiness. It's a beautiful word because it means to be like Jesus. That's what it means, to be like Jesus, holy. Be it far from me to boast, Paul says, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. You see, I said to you before, if you want to be happy, don't choose Christianity. If you want an easy religion, don't choose Christianity either. <laughs> because Paul is saying, I relish the very, ob- the, the very object of the ultimate scorn in the Greco-Roman world. The ultimate thing of humiliation is the cross. And I think the cross is awesome. Because that's how my sins were paid for. And now all the opinions that I thought that mattered, I don't live for those either. I don't care what Facebook says of me. I don't care what Twickety Twock cares of me. I don't care what Instagram says of me. I die to all those opinions daily that I might know Christ, Paul says. This is the delight. In order to really live a holy life, in order to live godly, which is the same thing, which means, again, to be like Christ, it involves dying to self, living for Christ. This is a great message, Andrew. Don't worry about the way people are looking at you. Just keep going. So there's two options here. You can either go with the crowd and do what the crowd say, we, this is what we accept and this is, we don't do what we don't accept. Or you can go with the one who says, come after me, follow me, take up your cross and follow me. Live the kind of life that will give you ultimate joy, both in this life and in the life to come. So there are going to be two kinds of people. There's going to be the enemy. The enemy of God says, my will be done. But the child of God says to Christ, with Christ, 
Thy will be done. Have your way in my life. And you may not enjoy it. You may not find it easy. But he'll help you because he'll fill you with his spirit. There is. Paul is saying by obeying Christ, by putting your faith and trust in Christ, there is no greater freedom than to be a slave of Christ. You might think, yeah, but pastor, there's so many people who aren't Christians and they seem to be having all the fun. Let me tell you, I've got enough years under my belt to know, no, they're not. No, they're not. Ultimately, they're aching, they're hurting, they're broken, they're empty. And Christ offers you exactly the opposite. Wholeness, healing, fullness, satisfaction and a joy that outlives happiness. Paul says, for neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. It's the new family we're a part of. Not the old Israel, Paul's already said, don't, don't look to the authorities in Jerusalem. Look to the Jerusalem above, he says in this epistle. Don't look to the crowd at Israel who want you to get circumcised, keep the laws of Moses, keep bringing your sacrifices to the temple. Those things are done away with, Paul says. Look to the true Israel, the Israel that is comprised of people who are new creations called being born again. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them. And citing Psalm 125, verse 5, Paul says, but he adds two words, in Greek one word, and upon the Israel of God. The two words, Greek one word, theou, of God. The Israel of God. The Israel of God, he's just spent his entire six chapters telling you, here's the old covenant with an old style of being made right with God, which really wasn't because it was just looking forward to Christ, the sacrifices, the temple, the priests and so on. And now the reality of it has come. And God's people, the true Israel, the Israel of God, are those who are new creations. And may peace be on them. From now on, Paul says, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. And Paul closes with one of the shortest benedictions in the New Testament. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. And amen. Would you please stand? It is, the gospel is because of Christ. Our new relationship with each other is because of Christ. The joy we have in the midst of life's difficulties, that joy is because of Christ. Because of Christ. If you'd like to listen again or you've missed a program, you'll find an archive of all previous episodes on our website, findingtruthmatters.org. For tonight's program, select Galatians Part 14 from our online store. You can also find the podcast by subscribing to Finding Truth Matters on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud. As we've heard tonight, there is no greater freedom than to be a slave of Christ. 
It means that our response to Jesus Christ is one of submission, not my will be done, but rather thy will be done. That concludes the Freedom Series. More from Dr. Corbett next week. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters. Thank you.